Morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks. <laughs> Messing with crowds. That's kind of what we do. Ten days left. Do you believe it? Ten days. So I don't know what it looks like for you, whether it feels like, oh, you know, and I've got all this stuff to do, or you're just kind of gliding through and you're good. However it looks to you, I really want to encourage you to join me uh, coming back this afternoon at 4.30 um, to hear these songs that are going to be offered up and um, our artists and the stories and the way they're going to uh, tell these stories just as a way to kind of reminding yourself and allowing uh, yourself the time to plug into what this whole season is about. So we all know that it's easy to get tied up in, in all of the ancillary stuff and the busyness and so forth. It's all good. It's not that any of it's bad, but it can be so distracting. And so something like uh, what's going to happen this afternoon can be a great time of, of just uh, reconnecting with the story of the birth of Christ. So hope to see you tonight. All right. Speaking of this story of Christmas, I am very familiar with the story. How about you? Like, if you're like me and you were raised in the church, you know the story. I mean, you know the story, right? We've heard it. In fact, we know the story so well, those of us raised in the church, that we don't even need to tell the story. We can do shorthand, right? Here's the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph, no room in the inn. Star, shepherds, wise men, baby in a manger. Boom. All right? Let's stand for closing prayer. <laughs> That's the story. You know, and so we know the story. We can fill in the story and, and, uh, because it's so familiar. But what I've discovered, having been around it all of these decades, is that like any epic story, like any great historical event, the more you study it, the more you delve into it, the deeper and wider and broader it gets, the more nuanced it becomes, the more we can discover about it. And that's certainly true of my experience with the Christmas story. So, for example, the shepherds, right? I have probably preached 15 different messages on the shepherds. I've probably heard 12 or 15 other people preach on the shepherds. I know the story. But yet there's new ways to look at it. And so what we're doing in this series is we're looking at familiar stories from the birth of Jesus and the people involved, and we're juxtaposing those. I just wanted to use the word juxtapose. Thank you. I heard somebody clap. Thank you very much. He's got a vocabulary. Um, putting them side by side to look at these two stories of a birth story and how that person's life or those person's lives were interrupted by Jesus and then fast forward 30 years into his earthly ministry as a man and how people in his adult life were interrupted in similar ways to those who were interrupted in his childhood. All right. So that's kind of what we're doing with this series. The idea of interruption, we're 
uh, I'm using from uh, the definition from Merriam-Webster's dictionary, and it says this, to interrupt is to stop or to hinder by breaking in. To stop or to hinder by breaking in. And so the story of Christmas is literally God breaking in, coming into our lives. So the shepherds, right? Let's talk about the shepherds. The shepherds, in our parlance today, um, if they were in our country, we'd be calling them cowboys, right? Because sheep boys just doesn't have much gravitas, does it? Like, really, sheep boys? Could be a boy band, but it's not anybody that you think of as having this great um, kind of... These are outdoorsmen. These are, these are tough, rough people. They live outside. And they carry a lot of responsibility, but they don't get a lot of respect in the culture. And they don't get a lot of respect because, for the most part, these are relatively uneducated, at least formally uneducated people. They're rough in every way. Their skin is rough because they spend all of their time outside. I imagine their language is rough because that's what happens when guys live outside. Um, you know, spending their whole lives at the south end of northbound sheep. You know, that's... And they probably smell rough, right? They're hanging out with, with sheep. And so I, these are not people that are widely respected in their culture, but they've got a really important job to do. And it's a pretty dis uh, distinct job. It's a job that doesn't change a lot. Like once you've been through a couple of cycles of, of uh, how to handle sheep, the job becomes the same thing over and over again. Basically, your job is to keep the sheep relatively close together, get them to places where they can eat and drink, take care of their basic needs as you know, they go through their life cycle, protect them from predators, and get them to the market. That's your job. And you do that day after day and night after night, week after week. But then there was this one day, this one extraordinary day. It seemed like any other day. It had come to an end. It was now dark. Half of, the, half of the shepherds are asleep. The other half are keeping watch, and they rotate. They do shift work. So there they are in this evening. From the research I did, it was, you know, kind of a silent night. Okay? It worked better for service. And I even asked the question, should I do that second service? And enough people said yes. And they were wrong, clearly. <laughs> so they're, they're just doing their thing. They're doing their job, right? When the Bible says, Luke records for us, that an angel appears. And they are terrified, awestruck. You know, we use that word so cavalierly in our culture. Everything is awesome in our culture, right? Oh, that's awesome. Oh, nice. Awesome. He called. Oh, that's awesome. All right? That word awesome is to be terrified, overwhelmed, awestruck. 
they were awestruck as an angel appears in the sky. And that makes sense, right? But the angel tells them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That is for everybody. Today, a child has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And after he makes this announcement, a host of angels appear in the sky and they sing glory to God. And then just as quickly as they came, they disappeared. Must have been overwhelming. So that's where the story picks up. I want to read to you. We just heard it read um, or recited to us a moment ago, but... I want to just take out this one piece from Luke chapter 2, 15 through 18. This is what Luke wrote about that event. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to their village. They hurried to the villages and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' story were astonished. A few things I want to point out about, about this. The first thing is, this is true for everybody. The fact that God arranged it, that the shepherds would hear this story firsthand. The shepherds, right? These are the uneducated. These are the outcasts of society. These are the ones who don't go to the good schools. They have no real power in government. They're not affluent at all. They're just making a living enough to get by and so forth. These are ordinary people. And the good news is for them. It's also for the affluent. It's for the powerful. It's for the, the uh, most highly educated because later in the story we know that wise men are coming, right? It's for everybody. The story, this truth, this Messiah is for all. The second thing is that, that um, I find really interesting is this um, whole thing about the fact that they say, we've got to go and find this one. And so they rush off and they find him, they see it for themselves, and then they go and tell everyone. The shepherds are the first evangelists. What's an evangelist? An evangelist, it literally means to share the good news. That's what an evangelist is. That's what the word means, to tell or to share the good news. The shepherds are the first ones to share this good news. They go into the town, into the villages, into their friends, into people they don't know, and they are telling everyone what took place. And it must have been wild like these shepherds and we don't know how many there are but there were a bunch of them 
all right? So this is not just two or three guys like we usually see in the pageants, you know, or in the, the uh, crush scenes that you see uh, out where there's maybe two shepherds, you know, because there's three wise men. You can't buy like 20 shepherds, you know, like that would just cost too much money. So we only put two, but there's, there's probably many shepherds, right? So they're spreading out throughout the village telling the story. They're the evangelists. They're the ones who are bringing that good news. And what it says about people's response is that they're all astonished by what these shepherds are telling them. Because these aren't guys that would normally be doing this. These are outdoorsmen. These are rough guys. They probably do more grunting and, and scratching than talking about God kind of things, right? So it's got everybody's attention, like, what's going on with the shepherds? What is that they're telling us? They're sharing their good news. They're telling about the Messiah. The third thing about it is what happened next? Oh, by the way, it says everybody was astonished. It doesn't say everybody believed. Everybody's astonished by what they say. But you know that there are people who heard it and went, I don't know. Like that's, uh, I don't know, you know, angels, right? A baby, Messiah, I don't know. But that wasn't their job. Their job was to tell what they saw. They had no responsibility for how people respond. Okay? But then the, the last thing is what happens next, right? The story ends as far as the shepherds, right? They tell everybody, people are astonished, then what? Like how long did it take them to tell everybody? A day? Days? Weeks? A couple of weeks? How long did it take? We don't know. But then what happened? They went back to their job, right? Eventually, they had to go back to their job. They had to go back to tending sheep. That's what they do. That's who they are. That's how they make a living. They tend sheep. Here's what I want to share with you this morning. Sometimes God changes what we do. Sometimes Jesus changes what we do but he always changes who we are. Sometimes he changes what we do, but he always changes who we are. They went back to shepherding, but they were never the same. That story, that experience transformed them. They came to a clear understanding that there is a God, that that God knows them, that that God cares about them, that God has a purpose and a plan for them, and that changed their whole lives. And even though they went back to being shepherds, they were changed men. And I'm sure that they told that story over and over and over to anybody who would listen. If they got married, they told their spouse. If they had children, they told their kids. If their kids had kids, they told their grandkids. If they were somewhere in a village or with other shepherds, they were telling that story. And you know how I know that? It's because of 
the fact that the gospel of Luke, when, when Luke wrote his gospel, he said in writing the gospel, his purpose was to write an orderly account from eyewitnesses of all that they had seen and heard. So somebody told Luke, you got to talk to Levi and Irv. They live outside of Bethlehem. Like, who are they? They were shepherds back when Jesus was born. Because he's writing this, you know, it's only, it's only 30 or 40 years after the birth of Jesus that he's writing this gospel, right? So these, many of these shepherds are still living. So he either heard firsthand accounts from the shepherds or people who had firsthand accounts from these shepherds to write this story down. It forever changed them. Sometimes Jesus changes what you do, but he always changes who you are. So let's fast forward 30 years. Jesus has now begun his public ministry. He has begun to teach around the synagogue and, and in towns and villages and so forth. And his message was so unique, so new, so fresh. It just had this amazing, sweet ring of truth. That when people heard it, they went, I've never heard it like that before. This is amazing. I get the kingdom of God in a way I never got it before. And so as word about him spread, more and more people wanted to hear for themselves what this new guy was saying. And so crowds began to follow him. So he is at the Sea of Galilee, which is really kind of a lake, and uh, he's standing at the shoreline, and this crowd has gathered, and it keeps growing and pressing on him, and he's backing up, and now he's like in the water. And uh, so he looks around, and he sees a couple of fishing boats. There's a guy sitting in it, a guy named Simon, later to become Peter, spoiler alert, um, sees Simon sitting there, and so he says, hey, how about if I get in your boat, we go out a little bit so I can speak to the crowd. And Simon had a really bad night the night before. He didn't catch any fish. And he was like, fine, get in the boat. I don't know if he said that to Jesus or not, you know, like, but he didn't know. So he wasn't like, oh, Jesus. He was like, fine, get in the boat. So they, he gets in the boat. They press out a little bit. And, and now he's facing the crowd at the shoreline and teaching. And when he finishes, he turns to Simon and he says, hey, tell you what, why don't you press out a little bit further, throw your nets over and fish. And Simon was thinking like, I, look, I did that all night long. There's just no fish out. It's not a good fishing day, but fine. You say, I'm going to, let's do it. He throws the nets out, catches fish, right? So many fish that the nets are breaking. They have to call another boat to come over to help get this this load of fish onto the boat, it's so full that it fills both boats with fish, okay? That's where the story picks up. So now, as Luke is continuing to record the story of Jesus, we're in the fifth chapter. All of that that I just told you has just happened, and this is where it picks up at verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, Please leave me. I'm a sinful man. For he was awestruck 
by the number of fish they caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. So, again, let's look at these two stories. Peter is overwhelmed by what's taken place. He now understands who Jesus is. And what's his response? He falls to his knees, afraid, and says, please leave me, I'm a sinful man. When people stand in the presence of the holy, we become profoundly aware of how small and how sinful we really are. The same thing that happened to the shepherds when the angel appeared happened to Peter when Jesus appeared. When we stand in the presence of the holy, we realize how small we are. And all of the stuff in our lives that we try to hide from others, that we try to hide from ourselves, that we try to deny, all of the sin, all of the brokenness is all laid out before us. And we're terrified. But in both cases, in the case of the angel to the shepherds, in the case of Jesus to Simon, what's Jesus, what do they say? Don't be afraid. God is for you. God is with you and God is for you. Don't be afraid. God knows our brokenness. God knows our sinfulness. And God is for us. That's the whole story of Christmas. God with us, God for us. And then he says to Simon, got a new assignment for you. You're no longer going to be fishing for bass. You're going to be fishing for people. Sometimes Jesus changes what we do. You've got a new assignment. You've got a new job. You're no longer going to be fishing for bass. He had no idea what that meant but he knew he was going to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. In both cases, shepherds, fishermen, were called to be evangelists. One was going to do it as their full-time thing, the fishermen. The others, it was going to be just part of their life as they did their regular job, the shepherds but both were called to share the good news. That's our calling as well. That's your calling. If you're a Christ follower, your calling is to be, believe it or not, an evangelist, to share the good news of Christ in ways that are consistent with who you are and true to your own experience. We're called to be evangelists. And the world needs evangelists more now than ever. I was uh, 
heard a story, in fact, it was here, uh, Wednesday night, we had our Advent Reflections. Pastor Rick shared a story with us, um, and I won't, I won't share it the way he did because it's his story and he would tell it better anyway, but it, basically what the story was is this. He was, he was in a barber shop, and, uh, and there were uh, two people working in this barber shop, and they're talking to each other as they're you know, doing their barbering job. And they're talking about the meaning of Christmas. And so there was Christmas music on, and the one says to the other, music is what Christmas is all about. And the other one went, that's not what Christmas is all about. Oh, really, what's Christmas all about? Christmas is all about the presents. Oh, really? And then they argued about that for a while. No, no, it's not about the presents. And, and then finally the other one says, I, Christmas really is all about family. And then apparently they both agreed that neither of their families were that great, and so it couldn't be about that. <laughs> and as the conversation went on, one finally said, Chris, it, it's a Catholic thing. It's a Catholic thing. You see, for those of us for whom the story is so familiar that we can talk about it in shorthand, we sometimes think that everybody knows the story. But increasingly, in this country, generations post-boomers are further and further from the church and further and further from the gospel of Christ. They've never heard the story. They've had no real interaction with the story. As hard as that may be for us to fathom, that's the truth. So how are they going to hear it? It's not going to be at a Christmas Eve service because they're not going. They're going to hear it because a Christ follower, somebody who has faith, that they're friends with, that they work with, that they become acquainted with, takes the time to get to know them well enough to be able to say, oh, I can tell you what Christmas is about and share the story and what it means to you. Sometimes Jesus changes what we do. We have people here who Jesus changed what they did. Pastor Heather was a school teacher. Pastor Steve was a school teacher. Pastor Dave was a contractor managing others who worked for the company that he worked for. Their call from Jesus called them out of what they had been trained to do to do something else, to serve in a different way. Sometimes Jesus changes what we do. But more often than not, that's not the call. You're going to do what you were trained to do. You're going to do what you do. And so I know some of the best evangelists who are painters, plumbers, contractors, lawyers, nurses, doctors, 
business people, sales people, doing their thing, doing their life, and finding ways of sharing their stories. When I think back to my own life, some of the most significant people in my faith story who taught me some of the greatest truths about Christ. One was a painter, painted houses. Two of them were school teachers. They weren't my teachers, but professionally they were school teachers. One was a carpenter. One was a marriage and family therapist. People doing their jobs, doing what they were trained to do, but living out their faith and sharing it openly so that someone like me could hear it. We're a people who are in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. He is reforming you into his image as you put your faith in and follow him. He's refining your character. He's giving you a different vision for your life, different set of priorities. Not just for your own sake, but for the sake of others. And so we, like the shepherds and like the fishermen, get to tell the good news to the people all around us. And I pray that we take advantage of the opportunities that we have to share the story creatively, winsomely, with great integrity. Let's stand together for closing prayer. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege that you have given us to be called your sons and daughters. Thank you that you know us so well, all about us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you love us anyway. Thank you that you have a purpose and a plan for each of our lives that go beyond the jobs that we do, the places that we live, the education, the money, all of those things that sometimes define us. That you say that we matter to you for eternity. And we have the privilege of sharing that good news with others around us. And so give us the courage, give us the words, give us the insight to be able to tell your story well. I pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.